we go. You are listening to Open Mic Friday on this Friday, August the 6th, in the year of our Lord, 2021. I'm Pastor Tom Baker. And on Open Mic Friday, we tend to take a look at emails that have been sent to us and reply to them. Our first email, Dear Pastor Baker, First of all, I enjoy your show tremendously. I am a physician living in St. Louis, so at times I hear you on the radio. Some days I find myself rushing out to the car to listen to your show, while other days I'll stay in the car longer just to hear what you have to say. After spending over 40 years of proclaiming I was a Roman Catholic, the Holy Spirit worked in my life about a year ago. While sitting at the computer one late night, searching for comfort and words of encouragement from Christian websites, I was confronted by a pop-up box. The box gave me a yes or no choice to click. It asked me if I was born again. I sat there looking at this screen with tears streaming down my face. From a Catholic background, the term born again has a negative meaning. But now alone, with Christ in front of my computer, I knew what he was talking about. I clicked yes to being born again. And it was the most powerful and liberating moment of my life. Immediately, the Holy Spirit led me to Scripture. I learned all about the wonderful gift of grace Christ has given to us. Can you imagine all those years as a good Catholic, and I never knew why Christ suffered and died for you and me? I am so amazed and thankful for the gift Christ has given us. As a teacher in training, the Holy Spirit is pushing me, now a Christian, to spread the good news. Now, I'm going to interrupt the email because where did he learn about the proper understanding of being born again? There are those denominations that think being born again means that you have to make a decision for Christ, invite him into your heart, which, of course, is impossible for an unbeliever to do. Being born again is explained to Nicodemus when Jesus asked him, you need to be born again. And remember, Nicodemus, am I to get back in my mother's womb? How is that possible? Jesus says, you are a teacher of Israel and you do not know this? Because Jesus knew the Old Testament, where it talks about that we would be sprinkled with the waters of baptism and given the gift of the Holy Spirit. And that was what was being born again. You see, there's two ways in which a child is a member of the family. He can be born into the family, or he can be adopted into the family. When we're talking about 
Christianity, we're talking about adoption. That being born again is where Jesus adopted you into his holy family and gave you the righteousness that is from him. Going on with the email. Now for the confusion. Many years of Catholic teaching has created many conflicts and questions. If we are saved by grace through faith, must we be baptized to have salvation? If there is nothing we can do ourselves to gain eternal life? Now that's a good question from the point of view of thinking that baptism is a work that I do. It's kind of like, well, I want to go to the movies, so I go to the front of the movie and pay a ticket to see the movie. No, that's not what baptism is. Baptism is actually, as I said, adoption. What does a one-month-old baby do to get adopted? Nothing. They make no decision. It is an action of the parents. Therefore, being baptized still shows that you are saved by grace because you are given something you do not deserve, namely eternal salvation. Then he says, what about the other sacraments? Well, in Lutheran theology, we don't recognize the other sacraments of the Roman Catholic Church as sacraments. The only two we recognize are baptism and the Lord's Supper because they are the two that definitely give the gift of the forgiveness of sins. Then he asks, are infants and mentally impaired individuals saved? Well, think again. Recently, I had a couple that adopted a child from Russia. And that Russian child was a little bit behind in the area of the brain and being able to work things out. Did that mean that therefore the adoption was not valid? Of course not. It doesn't matter if you're an infant or you're an impaired individual. Once water is applied in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, then that is a valid baptism. Email goes on. How do I rebuke Catholics with their laundry lists of self-help salvation steps and their claims of the Catholic Church originated from Peter and Paul as the only true church? Well, for the first question, how about all these self-help salvation steps? For example, one of them, we believe that a person should repent. 
But in Roman Catholic theology, they have penance. That means you go to the priest, you confess your sin, and then the priest tells you what you need to do. How many Hail Marys to say, or the Lord's Prayer, or something else. And then, of course, you've got purgatory. And people are always trying to stay out of purgatory. And they do that by thinking, if I really do good works, that will be saved. Now, what's the best way to counteract those teachings? You ask a very simple question. Show me in the Bible where that is taught. That's all you have to do. Because there are no Bible verses for penance or purgatory or praying to Mary and so forth. Then, what do I do with the claims of the Catholic Church originated that it came from Peter and Paul as the only true church? Now, their theology is the art of making distinctions. Nobody would say that Jesus is not the originator of the Holy Church. Of course he is. When he was with the disciples on the road to Emmaus, he was explaining why the Messiah had to die and then rise from the dead. Not once did he mention Peter or Paul. And then again, if you take a look, Peter and Paul were sinners. Again, there's no biblical evidence that they are the ones who originated the true Christian church. That Christian church actually was being originated before they were even born because Jesus Christ had done that in the Old Testament. The email writer concludes, Thank you for all your hard work and teaching. Thank you for making Scripture even more enjoyable and enriching. I hope to meet you someday. God bless. And then he, of course, puts down his name. Yes, this is such a basic teaching. <coughs> Excuse me. That we're saved not by our works, but by God's grace. And therefore, even baptism is not our work. Well, second email kind of ties in with the first one. In my adult Sunday school class this morning, discussion ensued about how and when the patriarchs of the Old Testament were saved. I guess the simplest way to phrase the question is, did Adam and Eve, Abraham, Elijah, Moses need Christ's death on the cross to affect their salvation? Were they already saved? before the cross. If you can help, I would appreciate some information or where to find it. If not, thank you anyway 
for your instructive programming. And that's from Lake City, Iowa. Excellent question. If the cross of Christ is the way that people are saved, then what about all those patriarchs who died before Jesus died on the cross? Well, that's what the gospel is all about. The gospel, it includes the promises from God concerning our salvation on the basis of Christ's death and resurrection. And that death and resurrection were even given as instruction to the first people, Adam and Eve. They, they were? Well, sure. In Genesis 3.15, God is talking to the serpent, Satan, and he says that through the seed of Eve would come a Savior who will crush the head of Satan, even though he would be wounded in the heel by Satan. And that's also taught throughout the Old Testament. Even in Isaiah, bruised for our iniquities. So already in the Old Testament, it is very clear that there is a gospel promise that Jesus will be coming as our Savior. And when he comes, he will bring salvation. But what about those who died before he came? Well, the gospel are the promises. A person isn't saved by believing the promises took place, but also that they will take place. For example, we today have promises of the gospel that when we die, we will be going to heaven with new bodies. Nobody's experienced that. Maybe Elijah did. But the fact of the matter is, it's a promise we believe in. And it is that trust in that promise that is the reason for our salvation. When you take a look, as you indicated, at Adam and Eve, Abraham, Elijah, Moses, they were all told about the promise of a coming Savior. They were told about him in different ways. But they believed the promise, and that's what saved them, even though the promise had not yet been fulfilled. In the same way that we believe the promise that we will have an eternal life in heaven with perfect bodies, even though it has not yet happened. So I think that's a great question. And a lot of people wonder, because when we talk about law and gospel, how many times do people think that the Old Testament is law and the New Testament is gospel? That is an error. 
there is both law in the Old Testament, take a look at the Ten Commandments, and there is gospel, Genesis 3.15, the promises made to Abraham, to David, to Solomon, to Elijah, to Isaiah, to Jeremiah. And in the New Testament, obviously, there are promises of the gospel, but there are also words of law. Just listen to the Sermon on the Mount, because there, people who think, like some of the Pharisees, that they are saved by their works, don't realize that they sin, not only when they do something wrong, but when they think in a wrong way or say words that are sinful. So the law is found in both, but the gospel is what saves us. And what saves us are the promises with which we believe. All righty. Next email. Tom. Thanks for your ministry. I have been listening to your program for the last couple of weeks while I get my little boy ready for bed. Anyway, I was wondering if you have any radio program recordings in the archives on the following topics. Basic understanding on theology of glory versus theology of the cross, basic understanding on lawlessness, legalism versus the cross grace, basic understanding on law and gospel. I am looking for some of your teaching on these subjects for my elder board and my trustee board. I have been trying to help our church understand these concepts. If you can be of help, that is greatly appreciated. Thanks for your ministry and giving me and my son, Jesus. And then it's signed. Well, how did I respond? Because I have had numerous broadcasts on the theology of glory versus the theology of the cross. You can look that up under the Heidelberg Disputation. That's where Martin Luther introduces those particular concepts. And of course, we're always talking about law and gospel. So what I would advise is to buy the latest book from Concordia Publishing House, which is a reader's edition of C.F.W. Walther's Law and Gospel. I've also done a series not that long ago that you can still look up in the archives of every one of those particular principles that C.F.W. Walther spoke of. We did that on Wednesdays, oh, about three months ago. So, take a look at those. If you have more questions, don't hesitate to call me.
All righty. Pastor Baker, I was listening to your program. I was working in and out of the car, so I was unable to listen to the entire program. If I am not mistaken, you were discussing an academic article by a Roman Catholic scholar, question mark. The article was a refutation of faith alone and was meant to show that you cannot be saved without faith and works. I may be wrong, but that is what I got in the few short minutes I was able to listen. I am trying to take the next step in my faith. I have been a Lutheran my entire life, but only now, 40 years old, do I realize how little I really understand. I am working on it, though. Your show is a great help. Although for every answer, I find more questions. I have you, my pastor, and my brother to help me down the path. Thank you for all you do every day. All right. Why does this Roman Catholic so-called scholar say that you cannot be saved by faith alone? Works have to be there. They're getting mixed up. The very simple distinction between justification and sanctification. How you are saved refers to how you are justified in the sight of God. And that is through belief, faith alone in the promises of the gospel. But do any good works occur? Well, let, let's take uh, an analogy. Uh, a child is born into a family, and he goes to the father and says, when he's about five years old, Dad, am I your child? And the father says, of course you are. You cut the lawn, you do the dishes, you make your bed, you take out the garbage, what father would say that nonsense? These are works that the child does, but they have nothing to do with whether or not he is a child of that parent. That is on the basis of whether he was born into the family or adopted into the family. There's no doubt that when someone becomes a child, they begin to do good works in the family. But those works do not make them the child. They are a result of the child's love towards the parent. That's what we call sanctification. So we believe, teach, and confess that when you are justified, that is declared righteous by God, you then begin to do good works spontaneously through faith. But those good works are not the cause of your salvation. 
they are the result of your salvation. And therefore, you can't say that I've been saved by my faith and works any more than you can say, I am a child because of my being born and because I do all these works around the house. No, ridiculous. So we want to thank those who are sending emails to me. The place to send them to, law and gospel at lawandgospel101.com. I'm Tom Baker. Thanks so much for listening. On Monday, we'll examine another passage from Scripture from a law and gospel perspective. Until then, God bless you. Listen to Law & Gospel each weekday morning at 9.30 on KFUO. For a tax-deductible gift to Law & Gospel, please make your check payable to Concordia Mission Society and mail it to Tom Baker, P.O. Box 28910, St. Louis, Missouri, 63132. To give online, visit lawandgospel101.com or call toll-free 1-877-267-1962. Views and opinions expressed on Worldwide KFUO may not represent the official position of the management or ownership of KFUO, the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod. If you'd like to comment on programs or topics heard on Worldwide KFUO, write us at KFUO, 1333 South Kirkwood Road, St. Louis, Missouri, 63122. You can also leave a question or comment on our comment line at 314-996-1542. We are the messenger of good news, Worldwide KFUO.